Yo, 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 what's up, everybody? Welcome to Summarily, a podcast for busy lawyers. I am your host, Robert Scavone Jr., and it is time to quickly catch up on a few opinions from August. I hope you caught my last episode about legal writing with Lindsay Lawton. The episode was approved for one hour of CLE credit, and the CLE code is announced during the episode. I plan on doing additional CLE episodes in the future, and in fact, next week I will be joined by Florida Supreme Court Justice Jorge Labarga and attorney Scott N. Richardson for a CLE episode on professionalism. If you have ideas about CLE episodes, please drop me an email so we can talk about it. My email address is summarilypod at gmail.com. Before we get to the opinions, let me give you the disclaimers. First, I am not your lawyer. Second, if you have a legal issue, please contact a lawyer. Three, the following podcast is not legal advice. And finally, this is not an advertisement for legal services. All right, I know you're busy, so let's get this show on the road. Our first opinion got some play on social media recently because of a concurrence by Judge Klingensmith. The opinion is Liberty Mutual versus Pan Am Diagnostics, and it was issued by the 4th DCA on August 17th. Before we get to the concurrence, let me give you the merits. This opinion involves attorney's fees under the PIP statutes. The PIP benefits were assigned to Pan Am, who then sued Liberty Mutual for its failure to pay the correct amount of statutory interest due. The amount of interest owed was 14 cents. Yes, a dime and four pennies. And you wonder why people hate lawyers. In addition to the 14 cents, Pan Am also sought attorney's fees. Got to make that money. Liberty argued that Pan Am was not entitled to attorney's fees because there was nothing due to Pan Am at the time the complaint was filed. After competing motions for summary judgment, the trial court awarded Pan Am the 14 cents in interest and $24,000 in attorney's fees. You heard me right. Pan Am's attorneys got 24 grand for arguing over 14 cents. Not a bad gig if you can get it. Liberty appealed and the fourth DCA reversed. Here is what the court held. Reading the PIP statutes together, the statutory entitlement to interest on overdue PIP benefits is not in and of itself a PIP benefit for which attorney's fees are payable. In other words, a dispute over whether interest is due or paid in the correct amount is not a dispute as to benefits payable for medical, surgical, funeral, or disability insurance benefits. Thus, litigation over the payment of interest due on PIP benefits does not trigger entitlement to attorney's fees for the claimant. And now for a little Judge Klingingsmith. Quote, if someone were to describe this case as a complete waste of judicial resources, would they be wrong? In this case, it is the elephant in the room. For an amount in controversy of 14 cents, the providers here filed a lawsuit 
engaged in discovery and hired experts, thus requiring the lower court to expend significant resources and time in court and out, reviewing court filings and testimony. Judicial resources were also consumed here at the appellate level, causing the expenditure of untold hours while considering this claim. This, of course, does not include the time spent and expense incurred by the insurance company to respond in kind to those actions, all over 14 cents. Had this matter simply been about obtaining full payment of an amount owed, I have no doubt that someone with a modicum of common sense and practicality would have been willing to hand over 14 cents to satisfy Apolli's purported claim and put an end to this petty dispute. Yet, that was not the point of this litigation. Apelli would never have accepted the tender of a single dime and four pennies to resolve this case, as the litigation below was never about the Apelli being shorted pocket change. As Judge Levine noted in Progressive, cases like this are brought painfully for no other justification than the award of attorney's fees. Judge Klingsmith explained that the trial court could have dismissed this trivial claim under the legal maxim that the law does not care about small things. Unfortunately, Liberty did not make that argument in the trial court. To me, this is a victory for common sense and a stand against wasteful litigation. Too often we forget that courts have more important things to do. This next opinion sends a clear message. Don't have sex with your relatives. The opinion is State v. Hardly, and it was issued by the first DCA on August 24th. I highlight it for its holding about the score sheet in felony cases and because the trial court ruled the way it did based on a claim that neither the state nor the defendant raised. The facts are straightforward. Hardly was charged with sexual battery upon his daughter, who was 25 years old at the time, and with incest. The jury found him guilty of incest, but acquitted him as to the sex bat apparently because it believed the sex was voluntary. However, the jury did find that Hardly penetrated his daughter's vagina with his penis. At sentencing, the state sought to add 80 points to the score sheet for victim injury points based on the penetration. Adding the points would have raised Hardly's lowest permissible sentence to 46.5 months. The trial court refused to add the points and sentenced Hardly to 30 days in jail, followed by 48 months probation. The state appealed. The interplay between two statutes was at the center of the appeal. As the court explained, one statute defines victim injury in terms of physical injury, including fatal injury. So for the defendant to be scored for victim injury under section 921.00217, he must be sentenced for an offense that directly causes a physical injury up to and including death. Any such injury is scored on a continuum, 120 points for death down to four points for slight physical injury. 
By contrast, and despite its inclusion under the, quote, victim injury heading of the score sheet, Section 921.00217 requires that sexual penetration be scored separately, whether or not there is physical injury. In other words, sentencing points assessed for sexual penetration stand apart from victim injury points assessed for physical injury to a victim. On appeal, Hardly argued that since the jury found that the sex was not non-consensual, there was no victim and therefore the trial court could not assess victim injury points. The first DCA rejected this argument and ultimately agreed with the state, quote, sexual penetration points must be scored for Hartley's incest conviction. That the legislature included two expressed exceptions to the mandatory scoring of penetration points confirms this reading of the statute. Paragraphs C and D show that the legislature managed to craft exceptions to address sexual offenses that are either consensual or victimless. It did not include an exception for incest. The first DCA also admonished the trial court for basing its ruling on an issue neither party raised. In its sentencing order, the trial court stated that it had heard the same case that the jury did and that it reached the same conclusion as the jury. There was a shortage of evidence to support the position that the incest was involuntary. Accordingly, the trial court found that applying the victim injury penetration points would violate the Equal Protection Clause because it could only apply to cases of heterosexual incest. The first DCA countered, noting that it is the longstanding principle that it is the role of the parties, not judges, to raise constitutional challenges against duly enacted statutes. Quoting from a Florida Supreme Court case, the court went on, this court has on a number of occasions held that it is not only unnecessary, but improper for a court to pass upon the constitutionality of an act, the constitutionality of which is not challenged. I believe the legal term for this is a smackdown. Ultimately, the trial court reversed and remanded for resentencing, which means that absent a valid order on a motion for downward departure, Hardly will spend at least 46.5 months in prison. Our next opinion deals with requests for public records and the costs associated with such requests. The opinion is Miami-Dade College versus Nader, which was issued by the third DCA on August 31st. Nader made a public records request under chapter 119 for records relating to the development of a piece of property owned by the college. As the third DCA explained, due to the request's expansive nature, MDC asked Nader to provide search terms to narrow down the scope of the search. MDC, the college, did not come up with its own search terms, nor did it conduct any of its own electronic searches. When the college did not fulfill the request, Nader filed a complaint demanding the records. College hired outside counsel to defend against the complaint. Outside counsel also handled discovery requests from Nader. 
the college ultimately produced the relevant records. It then moved for attorney's fees for the production of the records under section 119.07, seeking $223,000. The trial court denied the motion. The problem for the college was that neither it nor its outside counsel provided Nader with an estimate of the anticipated cost of discovery prior to producing the records, nor did they provide Nader with an invoice or request for payment for producing the records. This was a mistake. The third DCA affirmed and held that the college failed to show that it followed its own internal policies and section 119.074, and therefore it was not entitled to attorney's fees. This is a cautionary tale for those of you who are working for or representing public entities. Our last opinion is a case about an attorney behaving badly. This opinion consolidates four appeals. I will refer to it as Azran Miami versus U.S. Bank Trust. It was issued by the third DCA on August 3rd. The lawyer in this case had a history of bad conduct. Here are some of the things the third DCA found objectionable. Making frivolous arguments in a motion for rehearing on Bonk. Impugning the integrity of the court, opposing counsel, and the Florida Bar. Citing to parts of the record that do not support the facts for which they are cited. Failing to follow Florida rules of appellate procedure with regard to compiling appendices, including in the appendix circuit court orders that had been vacated, including in the appendix orders that were outside of the record, expressing disagreement with a panel opinion in a motion for rehearing rather than pointing out something the panel overlooked or misapprehended, and quoting from court orders in unrelated cases that were later vacated. Ultimately, the third DCA sanctioned the lawyer and referred him to the Florida Bar for disciplinary proceedings. I encourage you to read this opinion. Not only is it a reminder that bad conduct can result in penalties, it also highlights the nuances of important provisions of the Florida Rules of Appellate Procedure. For example, one way the lawyer in this case screwed up was by disagreeing with the panel opinion in his motion for rehearing. The appellate rules require that the attorney point out something the panel may have overlooked or misapprehended. There is a fine line between this and disagreeing with the outcome. Understanding these distinctions will help keep you on the right side of the line. I also wanted to highlight this case because I think it's a good segue into the next episode of Summarily. As I mentioned at the top, next week I'll be joined by Justice Jorge Labarga of the Florida Supreme Court and attorney Scott N. Richardson to discuss professionalism and your reputation. The episode has been approved for one hour of CLE credit on professionalism. All right, folks, that is a wrap. Thank you for listening. If you like what you've heard, please share this podcast with your friends and colleagues and tune in to future episodes. Also, if you come across an important opinion that you think needs to be highlighted, please send me your summary to summarilypod at gmail.com. 
and I may include it in a future episode. Thanks, as always, to my friend Chris Clark of Pendulum Productions for editing and producing this podcast. You can find him and his work at vimeo.com backslash Pendulum Productions LLC. Thank you again for listening. And remember, folks, case law is one word. Thank you.